welcome to the Inclusive Enterprise Podcast with co-hosts Charlotte and Brian Hughes. Charlotte and Brian are both Fortune 500 corporate leaders turned diversity and inclusion catalysts. Together, they view diversity, equity, and inclusion through the intersectional lens of gender, race, and disability. Every two weeks, you'll hear transformational interviews as well as actionable tips and strategies that you can implement in your workplace and career to drive profitable growth through diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Now it's time for your daily dose of inclusive leadership. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Inclusive Enterprise Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hughes, here with my co-host, Charlotte Hughes. Hey, Charlotte. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hey, in our last episode of the Inclusive Enterprise Podcast, Neurodiversity Driving Innovation from Unexpected Places, we interviewed Hiran Shukla, Automation and Innovation, Neurodiverse Center of Excellence Leader at EY, Ernst & Young. Hiran shared information on EY's successful diversity, neurodiversity talent strategy, including the innovation and organizational development benefits from hiring neurodivergent talent. Hiran also described EY's collaboration with other companies executing diversity, neurodiversity recruiting initiatives such as Wells Fargo, Procter & Gamble, and several other firms. We at Inclusive Enterprise Podcast wanted to know the challenges and the triumphs that college students, that these employers are recruiting upon their transition from high school to college, then upon graduation into the workplace. Our special podcast guest, Emily Racklaw, Director of On Your Mark, spelled M-A-R-Q for Marquette University, a program that provides support to Marquette universities on the autism spectrum. In Emily's role, she oversees multiple aspects of the program, including recruitment, screening, and monitoring of on-your-mark student participants, training and supervision of staff and volunteers. She oversees the budget. She develops coursework, student support, and training for students and the Marquette community. Emily says, and I quote, it's about changing the culture of an institution of higher education to include neurodiversity in its definition of diversity. She is passionate about equity and access to education, and Emily is neurodivergent herself. Emily is a lifelong Milwaukee resident and brings 15 years of disability and education experience to the program. She has presented at several conferences and trained other college success programs on the topics of disability as diversity, neurodiversity, and programming. Welcome, Emily. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us, Emily. Would you please tell us about what inspired you to be involved in this work of neurodiversity? So, long story that I'm going to try to keep short. Um, <laughs> I did not exactly have a direct path to anything in my life. Uh, so I started at grad school getting a degree in um, counseling, so I'm a licensed professional counselor. And I'd go to school and I'd work with um, the kids for a few hours a day or like one hour at a time. And I'd say, okay, I need, I need to be there longer. So then I went back to school and got a special education sort of a teaching certification, um, teaching 
basically high school up through age 21 and being with them more often, helping them overcome or work through whatever challenges or misconceptions that their people are coming on them. I was like, okay, I really like this. And then my kids would graduate and they come back and I'm like, oh, how's college? And they'd tell me they dropped out. And I'm like, well, what happened? We had such a, like, you had a great plan. Things are going well. You had your study skills on lock. You were doing, you were doing a really, really great job. And then they would say, well, I got to college and there wasn't anybody like you to help me. So, and I said, okay, well, it's not just me. It's, it's what we're supposed to do. But so that's when I decided I wanted to work in higher education. So um, I ended up working at Gateway Technical College and directing, well, before that I was a vocational rehabilitation counselor, um, putting those pieces of support together. And then I was jealous of the people who are actually doing the work. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I want to do that. So I ended up then working at Gateway Technical College, directing their TRIO um, student support services program for students with disabilities. Um, And that's how I ended up over here at Marquette. I was like, I'm from Milwaukee. I want to work in a four-year and this new program looks amazing and they really need somebody who has done things before. Um, So it's kind of just me always wanting more and always wanting to do more that got me in this work. Um, And I think finding out that I actually had ADHD when I was a young adult, I want to say like when I was 26, 27, really kind of was an eye-opener for me and making me realize if I've done this without any kind of structures, I can bring in my ideas, my supports, and really kind of understand what some of my students are going through. It's good that you have that connection and understanding. I, I commend you for that. And I understand that a grant was involved that has helped to establish the On The Mark program. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's kind of, again, I like to tell stories. Stories are good. A little bit of a funny story. So in 2015, doctors Mary Carlson and Amy Van Hecke and the director of Marquette Speech Clinic, um, Wendy Krieger, they wrote for but did not win an innovation grant Hmm. from the university. However, private donors John and Kate Miller stepped in and made an incredibly generous donation that allowed us to start the program. Um, Sadly, Kate has since passed away, but her generosity definitely lives on. Well, that's great. And it's good to have that support and at least... Thank goodness you had the foundation to really establish a wonderful program and initiative. So I know you offer a unique opportunity for participants to gain support throughout the four-year Marquette University experience with coaching and mentoring. Could you describe the coaching and mentoring that you provide? Yeah. So we kind of have like a three-prong approach. I tell my students and their parents when they come in, you get at least three people who are going to support you. There's me and I can be school mom, cool aunt, or a principal's office, depending (laughs) on how it's going, sometimes lawyer, um, whatever. And then you have your graduate coach who does a lot of focus on the independent living skills and self-advocacy skills and some of your academic skills. Um, And those things can be like adjusting to living in a new environment, dealing with the new sensitivities to noises and smells when you're now living in a residence hall when you've been living just at home, Um, taking responsibility for your personal hygiene, things that sometimes even neurotypical kids, their parents are still reminding them, hey, Mm -hmm. did you shower today? Uh Or make sure you do all these things. Um, Navigating around class, handling emergencies. Um, And I think a big thing is helping our students learn to self-advocate because a lot of times they haven't had to yet. And also in college, it is just imperative, though. People don't ask you, oh, are you doing okay all the time? 
you have to learn to say, hey, I need some help here, or this isn't going well, or I missed this, could you help me? And we really help um, guide through those conversations. And then in terms of academic skills with our grad coaches, um, there's just a big shift in how college and high school are run. So for example, you may get like a couple hours of homework at night for school, maybe one, maybe two. But in university, you're expected, I got to read all these chapters and I have to prepare for this. And there's not really a set schedule. So really helping our students working through how they're going to organize their work, how they're going to plan and complete their work, um, how they can access tutoring. We do do tutoring within our program, but also sometimes there are study groups that happen within their own classes. So helping them access those, um, reaching out to the Office of Disability, job skills, basically, you name it. Our grad coaches are on top of that. Excellent. Yeah. But the mentoring piece comes from social skills, right? And that's, you don't want, I mean, I'm almost 40. You don't want me telling you how to make new friends (laughs) or or what the cool kids are doing, because I certainly do not know. But our undergraduate peer mentors are amazing. Um, They're sophomores, juniors, seniors who have, some of them are neurodivergent themselves. Some of them are neurotypical but they all just want to help our students connect to social interests that they want to do. So whether that's joining a club or helping them start their own club or doing rec sports or just showing those little processes that we don't really talk about where there's an event at college, but they don't say how to get there. Our students really help break down the steps for them, whether it's saying, Hey, my friends and I are having movies are doing movies tonight. Do you want to come over? Or, Oh, you said you wanted to go do this activity. Cool. I looked it up. Here's how we'll do it. Um, and the feedback, so are, the feedback, Emily, you yeah. get from the participants, from the coaching and mentoring, just what are some of the kind of things that they say to you to demonstrate how valuable the coaching and yeah. mentoring is for them? Um, so we had a student who came to us his second semester of freshman year, and he was having a really difficult time for a semester. So when he came in second semester, he was like, this is what I needed the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's like, I I know how to do it. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't put those things together to actually make it happen, Um, which has been super helpful. And again, we're not really, in my opinion, I don't feel like I'm like orchestrating anything big. I'm just helping, I don't know, I guess, maximize their potential that's already there. Um, And when we had a student who just just wanted to learn how to ride the bus and, but they didn't want to ask one of their friends because that's, kind of weird, I guess. Sure. So they just asked their peer mentor, hey, can you teach me how to ride the bus? And they were like, sure, let's do it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, well, Charlotte and I, we, you know, we have a niece, uh, a lovely niece, Kendall Hughes, mm-hmm. who's on the autism spectrum. So hi, Kendall, if you're out there. Hi, hi Kendall. Hi, Kendall. We, uh, we are aware of the fact that when a, a, a student on the autism spectrum is diagnosed, either as a child or an adolescent or even a teen, um, when they're in school, when they're in uh, high school or in junior high school and even elementary school, they experience uh, an individual education plan, an IEP, um, for high school students. And so would you tell our audience what is an IEP? Mm-hmm. Sure. So an IEP basically outlines the accommodations and modifications that a student who has a disability may need. Um, oftentimes the difference between a 504 and IEP is that it's just, they need an accommodation. I mean, sorry, a modification, which actually changes the curriculum or changes the environment. Um, and what I've found interesting is that many people on the spectrum usually 
I should say the students that I see on the spectrum, many of them would benefit almost more from a 504 versus an IEP because there may not need to be a a modification of the environment where they're pulled out to do one-on-one teaching or whatever, or where they are, where they're actually changing what's being taught, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just, oh, they need a reduced distraction environment. Cool. You can do that with a 504 or they need... um, like anything that doesn't change the actual substance of what's happening mm-hmm. is an accommodation, not a modification. And a 504 is what, Emily? So a 504 is a plan that it follows ADA that basically sets up so a student can have accommodations in the classroom. So whether that's, like I said, a reduced distraction environment, maybe some reminders to stay on task, um, maybe getting some tools, for example, using voice-to-text software if they need to, um, Usually, sometimes we'll see that with kids who are, are maybe diabetic or whatever. But for example, um, 504s are really, I, I find them to be very helpful for students who are really bright and doing well-ish academically, but seem to just need those small changes to the, just some small changes, right? Gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha. So. so what does On Your Mark recommend to students who are you know, experiencing their final IEP. They're a senior in high school and mm-hmm. they are uh, applying to college, those that are have that as their next step in their life plan. What do you recommend that they do differently in that final high school IEP? Because I know that from with my niece, you know, parents are heavily involved in the elementary school and junior high school mm-hmm. IEPs. But when it gets to that last IEP, what do you recommend students do maybe differently or that they emphasize as they're at that last year? Sure. So I'm going to change, change the question a little bit. So what I would suggest is that going into their senior year, possibly even their junior year, that okay. first IEP, look at what aids and services are being provided and what are they actually utilizing. Oh. So, for example, if a student is assigned a one-on-one aid, had they had the chance to operate in the general education classroom without a one-on-one aid yet? Hmm. And Good. if not, maybe reduce those hours to see how that's going. Because sometimes it's just a matter of having, like we've had a few students who've had one-on-one aids who don't use them now and high in college and are doing fine. Um, so those kind of things, looking at how much time or how much extended time are you giving on assessments and try to reduce that if possible to about time and a half, which is, I don't want to say standard, but most commonly seen for the time extension in university. Um, looking at, um, kind of looking at specialized instruction, if they are getting specialized instruction, are they offering that in, in the area of executive functioning? So are they teaching students how to manage their own schedule, teaching students how to organize their materials in a way that works for their brain? Um, stuff like that. We want to try to make them move them towards independence. And also, most importantly, the student should be driving their IEP, I would say, as young as 14. Oh, okay. okay. They should be centering the meeting, speaking for themselves when possible, and saying the things they need. Excellent. Or they would like. Emily, what are some common misconceptions about the students in the On Your Mark program? Yeah. So I think the biggest misconception is about how our students get into the program. So first of all, in order for our students to even be eligible for On Your Mark, you have to be able to get into Marquette. Um, So they're going through that traditional college application process where they're submitting the application 
Um, even though we are test optional, many students do submit their ACT and SAT score. Um, so people are surprised, like our incoming, our average GPA for our freshmen is a 3.6. Um, and the average ACT score is about a 30. And our SAT score is 1343. Um, that's better than me, but um, <laughs> but I say that to say that our students are they they are academically prepared for university level work just as as the neurotypical peers are, but that doesn't mean they have the same profile. So, for example, like if you, I always say, like if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, um, and everyone's like, oh, STEM, and I'm like, okay, yeah, there's a slight trend towards computer science and math. We have so many students who are majoring in liberal arts things like education, political science, um, English lit. We have supply chain student, marketing, and the list goes on. Um, and I think the other thing is sometimes people hear autism and they go, oh, it's kind of like this fear mm-hmm. response. I'm like, oh, I don't know how to work with someone like that. And I'm like, okay, literally, it's just a ne- different neurotype. And I, I can help you with that. It's, it's not what you're making it up to be in your sure, head. Sure, sure. Not a hurdle that we need to get over, right? No. So then also based on your observations, what are some life lessons that some of your students will need to learn while at the university? So in this answer, I kind of thought as I was thinking of it, I was like, okay, but also neurotypical people. But the biggest thing for my students, I think, is self-advocacy and learning to work through programs as they come up. And maybe that solution isn't calling mom and dad right away or asking, you can ask for help, but you want to, are you asking for help to be listened to when you're venting about the program or are our parents jumping in to fix it right away? So many of our students haven't actually had to really struggle with kind of problems as they come up because their parents have worked really hard and done a really amazing job of preparing them to get through life, but they also haven't had the opportunity to struggle to just work through everyday little things that can come up. Mm -hmm. So Now that they're adults, our students deserve the dignity of risk, right? That means they have the right to make their own choices and decisions, even when those decisions could end with negative consequences. Makes a lot of sense. It's really just taking more responsibility and accountability and initiative for your own life experience. Right. And, you know, it's okay that something like you missed one homework assignment. The world is not ending. Mm -hmm. It may feel like it right now, but let's work through that and let's talk about the skills and how we can prevent that from happening again. Or you answered an interview question wrong. Okay. Oh, well, let's work through that. So what has surprised you most about the On Your Mark students? Yeah. So I'm not sure if I'd say surprise as much as I'm impressed. My students are incredible. They're all cooler than I am. They're all smarter than I am. Um, But I've had a student, had students apply for and be awarded really competitive internships at at Marquette. One of our students was placed at City Hall working for an older person all last year. I had another student do his own networking and land a really awesome summer internship back in his hometown. We have students planning to study abroad. Um, we had another student who auditioned for the, a very competitive a cappella group on campus. Mm. And though he, they weren't selected first semester, they asked for feedback, practiced really hard, re-auditioned, and then made it in spring. That was like, oh, wow. I'm so Fantastic. proud. Yeah. And just aside from those accomplishments, I think, I mean, I had a student who stood up to their parents and said they want to change the major, their major from what their parents and had decided it should be ah. their freshman year. And I know that was really hard for them, but it was it was just like a great moment. Like sure. the stress was just off their shoulders of, sure. okay, now I can study what I want 
Gotcha. Yes. An example of advocating for yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned uh, at the beginning the grant process and then the uh, donation, the funds that were provided mm-hmm. by that uh, benefactor. What? How important is fundraising and grant development for the On Your Mark program? It's incredibly important. We, yes, we do. We are a fee-based program like many other programs in the country. However, I operate an op- on a sliding scale, so I do not ever want anybody's level income or ability to pay prevent them from participating. So the greater funds we have, the more donations we have, the more grants we're, we're awarded, and ideally an endowment, I would be able to work with anybody who shows up at our doorstep saying, hey, this is what I need. And so far, I have not had to turn anybody down regardless of income. And I can, I just want to be able to continue to do that. And for benefactors, potential donors, potential um, fund and finance providers, who would they reach at On Your Mark to explore opportunities to contribute to the organization? So they can email me, emily.raclaw at marquette.edu, and we'll connect with University Advancement. You can also reach out to Marquette University Advancement directly and let them know you're interested. Our website also has an opportunity for you to donate on our page as well. Excellent. Emily, what is your vision for the programming program going forward? Uh, where do you see on your mark three years from now, five years from now? So... Ideally, I want to be really big uh-huh. <laughs> and provide and expand not just to, we are very autism specific right now, but I would like to eventually include other neurodivergent students, for example, dyslexia, ADHD, like myself, um, things like that. Um, and I also want, our university is doing a great job of starting to include neurodiversity in its definition of equity and diversity, but I want to be kind of be part of more of those discussions more often. Um, I'd love to expand my center. It's pretty big now, but I'd love to expand my center, my partnerships on campus. We already work with OT and counseling students and everything to provide all those services. I would just love to be able to say, here's our fancy name. This is where we are. (laughs) Come on in. Um, And though at the same time, I'm very thrilled that Marquette has been incredibly supportive of the development of our program. And even more so, they're committed to the positive experiences of our students. Um, so our students don't have anywhere they can go on. They have try that again. They can go anywhere <laughs> on campus and someone who is someone can speak to them and they won't make them feel like they're less than or weird. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Now, Emily, we Charlotte and I and our team, the inclusive leaders group team, we are very supportive of. And we mentioned here in Shukla of Ernst and Young, mm-hmm. who was our guest on the podcast episode preceding yours, um, the things that companies are doing at Ernst & Young and Microsoft and Wells Fargo and Procter & Gamble, companies that have uh, neurodiversity recruiting programs who are really applying workplace techniques to enable neurodivergent talent to not only fulfill jobs and execute uh, projects, but really add to the culture of their organization. Are the students in the On You Mark program in their, you know, when they get on campus, how do you make them aware of those opportunities and what do they feel about it? Are they, are they sensing the growth in neurodiversity in the corporate workplace? Sure. So 
Part of when our students come in, we sit part of our freshman year thing is going down and coming up with a career plan and what it is their goals are. And we talk about all those different programs that are available. Um, Hearing's program is phenomenal. Um, I had a student intern with HP and they have a similar neurodiversity internship that happens over like between fall and spring semester. And then sometimes students also participate in summer. And he, our student had a great experience with that. Um, I think the biggest piece of feedback is some of my students are saying, I would love this, but that's not in my field. Gotcha. Um, It's very, it's very STEM heavy. It's very tech oriented, usually towards saying, okay, computer science or IT, that kind of thing, or engineering. And I think a lot of our students are like, I would love if any organization where I am had this kind of welcoming environment and really personal soapbox think everybody should. So really organizations that um, need to really think about neurodivergent talent in other areas rather than technical and quantitative and really think about um, uh, marketing and customer service and creative services, all kinds Mm -hmm. of areas within the organization beyond STEM. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So one final question. Based Mm -hmm. on your lessons learned so far, Emily, what advice do you have for those colleges and universities considering launching programs like On Your Mark? Number one, make sure you do whatever you're doing is centered around autistic students and what they want. Not what we think they should have, not what this little research piece said, but, you know, do your research by interviewing and talking to people who are on the spectrum. So shout out to my doctoral students, Elise Adler and Rachel Stanley, for doing that hard work at the Lit Review, analyzing data from other programs and interviewing current and former college students on the spectrum to develop what we have. And Elise, every (laughs) every semester sends out a survey to our students really looking for honest feedback on what we could do better and what we're missing. So just make sure that the people you're trying to serve are the center. Thank you, Emily. We appreciate you sharing your enlightening stories and success practices with our listeners. You're not only an expert in program creation and development, but a disability advocate and a true professional as well, ensuring On Your Mark considers the whole student to achieve their full potential. Please join us again on our next episode of the Inclusive Enterprise Podcast, entitled 10 Steps to Mitigate Systemic Racism in the Workplace, with our guests, Tim Vogus, Professor of Management at Vanderbilt University, and Reginald H. White, HR Director for the Research Division at Cornell University. In this episode, you'll learn what actions you can take to address racism on an individual, interpersonal, and organizational level. If you haven't subscribed to the Inclusive Enterprise Podcast yet, please visit www.inclusiveleadersgroup.com and do so. While on our website to subscribe, also visit our Thought Leadership Resources page and download a free resource guide on neurodiversity, intersectionality, and much more on DEI for your use on the job. Join us in two weeks for more of the Inclusive Enterprise Podcast. Thank you, Emily. Thanks. That was so fun. We appreciate it. Good, man. Wonderful episode. (laughs) We're so glad to uh, 
share your story yes. uh, that yes. we and we want to continue to support it whenever we have an opportunity yes. to publicize what you have going on we'll do so we'll follow you your linkedin uh page to see what kind of things you're posting And you're now a friend of the podcast, so anything we can ever do to help, you let us know. Please let us know. Certainly will. My son thinks you guys are the coolest now. (laughs) You're always cool. You're just cooler now, huh? Have a good day, Emily. (laughs) 